19. Just got a, a few weeks left in our Summer of Psalms series. Psalm 15. And uh, thinking about this uh, chapter this week, uh, I've shared a few times my uh, joy in camping. I think there are fewer ways to complicate a perfectly good vacation than camping. But there's some of my fondest moments and memories uh, out in the woods, around a campfire, uncomfortable chairs, and uh, pointless tents, it feels like. Wow. I don't get many amens, but that was one of them, apparently. But uh, I told you the story uh, before where the large uh, cat screeched and leaped from a tree, and I thought death was coming from above. This story is more to do with death that I thought was coming from the water, so it should be equally as good, I hope. But it, uh, it was when I was very young, it was just my dad, uh, me, and my brother out camping, and we would go fishing down at this flooding, uh, I think they call it flowages here, but uh, this small creek that they flooded into a lake, and it was full of panfish, and instead of going to where we typically do, which was always uh, historically safe, for us to be there, uh, dad thought, well, why don't we take this other path that is, of course, straight up a hill first, uh, then back into the woods around to the backside of this flooding. And because we were children and had zero autonomy, we went with him. And when we got there, it was just this cut, this bit of water that had come up into the woods a bit more, and there were logs everywhere that you had to walk out on to get to a spot that you could cast the hook into a little small opening and fish. And it went really well, surprisingly, like we were professional fishermen or something. You'd have to set the hook and then skip them back across the logs uh, to, get, to get it back into the net. And it was, I mean, it was just outstanding. I'd, I don't know how we did it. Until the moment where uh, when all of our hooks were in the water and then there was splashing as well. And as... Uh, it was quite troubling because uh, that shouldn't ha have been happening at the time. And once we started scanning the area, uh, what we saw were a bunch of snakes that could travel over the water. And as if snakes aren't terrifying enough, the ones that can float and just do whatever they want to on the water, uh, you know. So what we did is uh, spotted that. We heard Dad yell, run. And the first time in our lives, we perfectly obeyed. Could you imagine that? We, we dropped everything we had, we turned to 180, and boom, we were gone. And it was like Forrest Gump running through the marching band, gone. Never to be seen again. Well, uh, later on, uh, the, the last thing I remembered before leaving the entire scene was Dad with like a branch or something in his hand, just wailing away at these snakes. And eventually he told us, like, well, I, just, I meant for you to just to get back away from the water, uh, not to run all the way back to the campsite. Uh, but thankfully, he survived. Uh, he killed, I don't know if he killed off or just fended off the snakes. I don't know what else he left back there, but I remember never going back to this place. For, and, I, and I think this morning, as we go through Psalm 15, we'll, we'll see something similar about Jesus. Uh, the defender, the, the way that we escape sin, the hope of surviving in this life, the one we look over our shoulder and we see Jesus constantly doing things for us, the one who saves us and gives us life. So as we let, read Psalm 15 with me one more time and we'll pray and get into it. 
Psalm 15, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eye a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. Would you pray with me? God, we come and bow before you today. I'd ask that you would uh, pour into our souls through this text, that you would help get me out of the way and uh, help me preach the gospel to a room of weary souls, including myself. That you would show us who Jesus is even in a greater fashion through this small psalm this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 15 is a psalm, uh, some of the context here, psalm ascribed uh, to David. Uh, the scholars are guessing that this has something to do with him trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, but that's all that they've really been able to gather from what little uh, context is here. And what I find interesting about this psalm in particular is David asks two questions right up front, and then he almost, to me, in exasperation, answers it. He says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent, and who shall dwell on your holy hill? Uh, these two phrases, meaning who shall be in your presence, who shall be in heaven with you. Only the person then who does all of these 10 to 11 things perfectly will be with you. And in a way, David seems to just be expressing that exasperation at the moral and ethical requirements of salvation. And if you remember the context of the pre-incarnate Jesus, uh, before Jesus came to earth, in the Old Testament period, the law was in effect for the atonement of sins. The sacrificial system that uh, had to be continually gone back to. And this was, that was labeled as a curse from Paul. In Galatians, Galatians 3, 10 through 12, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God, before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith, faith rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And he means by all of them. This is why the writer of Hebrews wrote in 10, uh, verses 1 through 4, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would, uh, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there, are, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The law demanded perfection, or else it was a curse. It was a curse because salvation demands perfection. 
to be saved from these sins. And if one was going to reach heaven without Christ, then they must follow the law perfectly their entire lives. The law demanded perfection from man, whom could never be perfect. And one could not say, uh, any of us who live after Christ came, could not say, well, that was the law, Jesus came and did away with the law. But hadn't you heard that Jesus said in Matthew 5.27, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with, uh, with her in his heart. Jesus didn't just take an eraser to the law, he almost made it even deeper and more difficult than what the Jews were doing in the day. He didn't say, well, just don't follow through with your sinful intents. He said, your sinful heart is sinful. You're not getting away with this. You're not going around the law by just not acting out your sinful heart. Jesus brought the full law with him to fulfill. And the way, that was the way that was meant to be applied. He didn't make it easier on those who want to show their works. He exposed them for only following the law outwardly and being just as unfaithful as everyone else. We must be found perfect before God if we are to be saved. And that's bad news. We must be able to show that we have followed the law perfectly our entire lives. To be able to look at a list of this like David's and say, yeah, I've never, uh, I've never breached one of those things. I'm perfect in all of those things from birth until death. That's bad news. But there is good news. It brings me to my first point. Maybe that's my second point. It got kind of long-winded. It begs the question, the same thing David is asking here, well, then who is going to heaven? If I've got to be perfect, if I've got to follow a checklist, and checklists about sins and righteousness are all over the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, there's checklists everywhere about how we should then live. I think we would all go, well, no one's going then. We're all doomed. David begins asking, who shall make it into God's eternal presence in verse 1? His answer was the person who can keep laws, the law of God perfectly. Only the perfect person may go to heaven. Only the sinless person may enter heaven. And maybe you would say, well, good people. The good people will go to heaven. But Paul wrote in Romans 3, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Our, our theology must be formed by this idea. Our evangelism must be formed by this theology that there is no one who is good enough who can look at any list and say, yeah, I got that, who is lawful enough to earn salvation upon their own merit or their own work. For those of us who believe that we've already done enough to make it into heaven are certainly lost still. I have a story that I tell at my uh, great shame, and it's even worse than the uh, running from snake story. We had a <laughs> easy Pete. It's not about you. You're not. You weren't born yet. Okay. Jeez. 
uh, when I was younger, probably older than the uh, snake story, we had this, uh, we moved out to the country, we had this like really ugly tree. I have no clue what it was. It was really ugly. The only good thing about it is it served as our first base when we would play backyard baseball. And one day we were out trying to climb trees and uh, I'm, I wasn't great. I was okay at climbing up and I wasn't great at getting back down, especially this really weird, ugly tree. And one day we were climbing, and Dad's out in the yard. I'm sure my second brother Nick is somewhere running around in a diaper, and uh, we're cl- we climb up the tree, and I struggle getting down. And I, I have an idea. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find a rope, like a twined rope, really old, full of barbs. What I'm going to do is turn myself into like an elevator, and I'm going to get myself back down from that tree without climbing. And I don't know how many times my dad warned me against this really bad idea. Because it was multiple times. And in my obstinance and uh, pride, like, no, this is going to work. So I go get this really bad rope. I tie one end around my waist. And then I took the other end and I threw it up uh, over the highest and strongest branch that I could reach. And I grabbed onto the other end. And he warned me one more time, like, do not do this. Like, just work your way down. It'll be okay. Don't do that. Like, no, 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 no. This rope's going to work. And so what I did was I put both hands on that rope because if I'm stupid, that's one thing, but I follow through with these ideas, okay? If I'm going to have one thing that uh, went for me, grab both hands on this rope and leaned away from, my tr- uh, from the tree. And the first thing that happened was this really gnarly rope went from my waist and s- screamed its way up my torso right under the armpits. Not only did that not feel great, The other end, holding all of my weight, was then rope burning in my hands. And there I was, stuck, hearing nothing but laughter from my dad and my brother as I'm like this, leaning out from this tree, being roped burned, or I could say double rope burned from this rope. Mm. That is a picture of any person trying to secure their salvation by their own works. Not only do we look completely foolish, we will feel completely foolish. A double rope burn will be nothing by the end of things. When we get to the end of days and we said, well, I was as good as the world could measure. I belong in here. I could read any list from King David and say, I got that. And that begs the question then, the question Who's David speak, excuse me, speaking of? In whom shall we be saved? Or who could be saved if anyone? So let's read the, that list again in this psalm. This list of what a righteous person will live by perfectly their entire lives. They walk blamelessly. I think we're all done there, right? Does what is right. Speaks truth in his heart. Done there again. Does not slander with his tongue does no evil to his neighbor, doesn't take up reproach against his friend, despises evil people. And that's one that maybe some of us are good at. If we were to say, got one out of the seven so far. Honors those who fear the Lord. Probably not very good at that. Swears to his own hurt and does not change. Does not loan money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. This list is not a, I've never done these things outwardly. This is a, I've never sinned in this way inwardly either. 
list. The person we are speaking about who fulfills everything on this list and the entire law is the man, Jesus Christ. The only man to walk this green earth to be able to say, I have fulfilled things perfectly so that I may go to heaven and spend all eternity with God the Father is Jesus Christ. He fulfills the entire law because he was a man who lived perfectly. It's written in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake he made him to be, no sin, uh, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In 1 Peter 2, 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges perfectly. And in Star Wars, uh, our house is a Star Wars fan, a fan family. When Obi in uh, A New Hope and Obi-Wan has got Luke Skywalker and they've, they've got C-3PO and R2-D2 in the back seat and they come into uh, the town and uh, the stormtroopers are like, I'm looking for droids like these. And he goes, these aren't the droids you're looking for. And the stormtroopers are just like, oh, okay, cool. This is the savior you're looking for. As weary souls, it's like clay that cracks in the heat, the, the summer heat and the, the sun and it dries out and we don't know what to do. This is the perfect Savior, Messiah that you're looking for. This is the one who saves souls. This is the one who takes your place. We will never fulfill any list perfectly, but Jesus does everything perfectly. Remind me of Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a, a switch by his blood to be received by faith. We may now read these lists, and I'm talking to believers here, who no matter what, in their souls, they know that Jesus is Lord and he's been raised from the dead and he is the king of the universe in our lives. Those people, I'm saying, we can look at a list here and celebrate with joy because of what Jesus has done for us. We can look at a list and say, well, thank God for Jesus because I would have never been able to accomplish that. I am utterly lost without him. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, because he saved me from all things. And in his strength, I can do that now. We will be saved for all eternity because of the preciousness of Jesus and his death on the cross and resurre resurrection for you. I want to recall that story that I told in the beginning where we just left dad in the dust uh, swiping at snakes the snakes aren't scary enough. They can just float on water now too. I don't know. I don't know if they've always been able to do that, but just warning you. Spoiler alert, they float on water now. But just as my dad was making sure that the snakes didn't get past him to us or to our fish, Jesus is after you securing your faith. The same faith that he purchased on the cross to place you in the eyes of righteousness of the Father. 
that same Jesus now works on your behalf. Let me close with reading uh, Romans, from Romans 8. Because I thought this just encapsulated everything as we're looking at a law gospel distinction of what you must do versus what I've done for you. Romans 8 in the just 1, uh, 1 through 11. We'll see if I've got the attention span to get through the whole thing. This is what has been done for you. It's no longer do these things or perish. And guess what? They were perishing under this. This is what now is for you. Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Not some, not a little, there's none. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not in according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For the, set, the mind on, uh, set the mind of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to, the God, to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, believer, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is, the, is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. This is you now. Those of you who are in Christ. And I, I want to set this up in, in a, a distinction or opposition to all the stuff in this world. All the disease, all the war and the famine and drought and difficulties and finances, anything that is weighing on your soul, all of that. And then each of us are going to take that and throw it into a giant pile. And then we're all going to look at the grace of God on the other side. All of that difficulty melts away, I hope. I'm not saying it gets easy or doesn't hurt, but in the face of what the Lord has done in our life, all of that should be a cakewalk, something you can put in a hand and carry in a basket because if we view the Lord's grace and salvation the way we should, problems become small because what God has done in our lives. I want to say they're going to be easy. That'd be wrong of me to say, but they should become small because of the greatness of God and salvation and what he has saved you from and saved you unto. unto. And that's why we care so much about the gospel in this church, that God who is not required to save anyone who has hated him did just that through his son. And so I would love to uh, turn our eyes to continuing to worship in song as we continue in the worship service. Uh, if you would pray with me first. Uh, Father, I thank you for this psalm.
and the many ways that you have shown us the ways we fall short and the way, uh, things we should strive for. It is good to not bear fal- false witness. It's good to do nothing that is in this list. But we will fail every day at almost all of those. And that is why I'm grateful for Jesus and the way he lived perfectly, the way the Spirit was sent to help, to be our helper, to pull us away from those things over time. I ask that you would cleanse our conscience and give us freedom as we worship you now that you have fulfilled everything and we must just only cast our burdens upon you now. I thank you for your work. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. I would ask that you would continue to help us in all manners. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, this is the time if you're visiting.